lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre. So today, you know, these are the ebbs and flows, folks, when you are living through a literal cold civil war. Coming off the weekend that we just had and what was on parade and what went down, it it felt yesterday like we had just watched the demonic version of a old school Soviet May Day parade, like the real ones. Not the ones where they were like paper macheing tanks together in the mid 80s because they were by that point in time so depleted. Like the stuff that Khrushchev and Brezhnev used to run through the streets that was like legit, okay? That's what it felt like yesterday. At least least that's how I felt. I mean, that was just sort of demoralizing to watch. I mean, just to feel like you are held captive while your enemy, who in this case is the enemy, just parades their most intimidating and impressive array of tactical deployment right in your face. And you feel like there's just nothing you can do about it and that the people that you've elected to do something about it aren't going to do anything about it. The good news is today is going to feel a lot different because we have two guests today, three technically, two of them will appear at the same time, but we have, we have two guests today and they are two individuals who have taken scalps in this war. Matt Walsh is going to join us here in about 30 minutes to talk about what I saw yesterday. Rob Schneider, yes, formerly of SNL actor, said he thought it was the best documentary he had seen in a decade. We will talk about Matt's deserving smash hit, which is a weapon of mass destruction in the Cold Civil War. Uh, We will talk to Matt about what's a woman here at the bottom of the hour. And the next hour, we will talk to one of the last true remaining American badasses. Pre-COVID, he was arguably the most decorated cardiologist that this country had ever produced. And now, of course, basically he's serious black. Dr. Peter McCullough will be joining us. He's got a new book out about confronting COVID-19 with treatment. What he learned from doing so and bucking the trend that said, hey, there's it's the 21st century. There's nothing we can do for uh, a respiratory inflammation, a pulmonary inflammation. There's nothing we can do until just go home. Don't until you can't breathe and then come back and we'll put you on a ventilator where it's literally a flip of a coin, whether you ever walk out of here. One of the true pioneers in pushing back and in doing so. Risked all of his reputation, his career integrity did it all. In fact, he's still treating patients. We haven't announced this yet, but um, we're working on a special Blaze presentation involving COVID here for next month. So I guess I kind of just announced it. My bad. Anyway, um, the first person we thought of to bring in to, to help us with this, because he's also a Texas native, and we're going to be filming it while we're down there next month, is Peter McCullough. He's like, I'd love to join you. I'm, I'm, I have clinic hours when you guys are taping. This is, this is not 
even someone who theoretically got this right. There are some good people. Like, I think I'm going to pronounce it correctly, guys. Jay Bhattacharya. Did I get it right again? Second time in a row? I think right. so. Great guy, huge asset, but, but he's not a clinician anymore. Peter is still getting his hands dirty. He's still helping people. And he is going to join us next hour. So today it'll feel a little bit more like we're not just sitting here and taking punch after punch, but we're going to talk to a couple, and, and importantly, dudes. We love our mama bears, man, but we got to have dudes, dudes. Dudes determine the direction of a culture. You, tell a, you always tell the direction of a culture by the state of its men every single time. And so it'll be nice today and encouraging, especially for me, to talk to a couple of dudes who have landed a punch for 100. So we will do that and more coming up here today. Maybe by now you've noticed the shirt I'm wearing. I am wearing one of the shirts from our new partners over at Viciously Loyal. Um, They are a company made up of servicemen and women who have done a life of service, whether it's in the military or as first responders or in their churches and in their communities. It is a range of premium shirts, tanks, and hats designed to fit your individual style, but also your convictions. And right now, uh, you can get 20% off. Again, you're going to probably, you you probably can't look like that guy. I'm just going to be honest with you. It probably won't help you look like him. All right. But It'll help you look at least a little better. I think you can see it's helping me to look at least a little better. 20% off your Viciously Loyal gear today when you use the discount code Steve when you go to viciouslyloyal.com. Again, and they've got, by the way, uh, flat bill, trucker hats, there's tank tops, a whole line of swag that you can check out there. When you go to viciouslyloyal.com and use the discount code Steve, get 20% off today at viciouslyloyal.com. All right, with that in mind, let us begin as we always do with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by the Kabuki Theater. Checking in on the January 6th committee hearings. Basically, all you need to know about this Kabuki Theater is this moment captured yesterday at the end of former Fox News political editor Chris Steyerwalt's testimony. Mr. Chairman, I yield back. I thank the witness for joining us today. The first panel is now dismissed. For those of you listening, Steyerwalt winks at the committee before getting up and leaving. Another oddity from the hearings is something the Daily Beast reported. Apparently, Fox News host Sean Hannity requested Donald Trump pardon Hunter Biden in a bid to smooth things over after the events at the Capitol on January 6th of last year. Moving on, Twitter yesterday suspended Blaze TV's Ali Beth Stuckey over her tweet from last week criticizing Fox News for running this segment on the California parents who were encouraging and coddling their daughter's mental illness. The Canadian government is set to announce an end to mandatory vaccines for domestic and outbound international air travel. The mandates had been in effect since October 30th of last year, meaning Canada is one of the last countries to remove that mandate. This comes as news that Canada's boy king Justin Castro has once again tested positive for COVID. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Secretary Javier Becerra tested positive for COVID for the second time in less than a month. New Pfizer documents were released into their trial 
trial of their COVID jabs for babies aged 6 to 23 months. Their own data shows at best the jabs have an efficacy number well below the promised 95%. The jab has negative efficacy between the first and second dose and less than 15% efficacy between the second and third dose. Again, this is a trial studying the vaccine efficacy amongst babies and toddlers, a group not at risk from severe complications from COVID. According to various reports, feminine hygiene products are the latest shortage in America right now. NPR tweets, people who menstruate are saying it's hard to find tampons on store shelves across the U.S. right now as supply chain upsets reach in the feminine care aisle. Learning Chinese today, today's phrase is, they're called bleeders, NPR. NPR. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre was asked for an update on the baby formula shortage. Yeah, let me see if I have anything new for you on that. Uh, I think it's been a couple of days since we have asked, been asked that question. Okay. I don't have anything new. More Democrats are starting to openly question whether Joe Biden should run again in 2024. Jean-Pierre was asked about his mental and physical fitness by CNN's Don Lemon last night. Does the president have the stamina, physically and mentally, do you think, to continue on even after 2024? Don, you're asking me this question. Oh, my gosh. He's the president of the United States. You know, it, he I can't even keep up with it. We just got back from New Mexico. We just got back um, from California. Uh, that is I, 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 that is not a question that we should be even asking. Just look at the work that he does. A new Axios poll finds 71 percent of single young Democrats say they they would not go on a date with somebody who voted for the Republican presidential candidate in an election. 37% of young Democrats say they wouldn't even be friends with somebody who voted for the opposing candidate, compared with 5% of Republicans. And finally, this from the Babylon Bee. Study shows kids who are homeschooled could miss out on opportunity to be a gay communist. And that's what happened while we were away. Ah, that is... That's good. That's good. Uh, Aaron's Montage brought to you by our friends over at Better Spectacles. I guess we're just going to go ahead and advertise my entire wardrobe here today. So uh, now we can talk about the glasses I'm wearing. Uh, they include handcrafted rodent stock frames, uh, uniquely available for the first time uh, for wide distribution here in the U.S. from rodent stock eyewear, 144-year-old German company, uh, considered one of the gold standards when it comes to eyewear. And it also means that you now can uh, avoid the dorky frames for your problematic prescription because like some of you, I'm a little far and I'm a little near, mainly from looking at these damn screens all day long. All right, so if that's you and before you had to wear the dorky frames, now you don't have to. You can get the cool frames that uh, the kids that uh, just have the regular prescriptions uh, can get access to. And if you need an update of your regular prescription, my wife recently did. She got it uh, updated through Better Spectacles, got herself some Rodenstock eyewear, and just cannot believe how much better she is seeing with this new eyewear she got from our friends at Better Spectacles. So if you want to try it now, 61% off is I need to ask him where the 61 came from, by the way. Like, why not 60 or 65 or the 61? You know, like, are they Roger Maris fans? I mean, what, what what's unique about that particular number? But that's the savings you get. 61% off your introductory offer when you schedule a teleoptical appointment with them, some of the best trained opticians in the country, and let them help you. And they'll throw in those handcrafted Rodenstock frames for free. You can't beat that. If you go to betterspectacles.com slash Steve, 
That's betterspectacles.com slash Steve. Coming up in the overtime, which we will record right after today's show for Blaze TV subscribers, and then it will be uploaded later today at blazetv.com slash Dace. We are going to discuss a Twitter poll I have going on right now that will expire here within the hour, so you can go vote on it if you want to at Steve Dace Show. And we're asking which of these phrases... If you plan on voting Republican this fall, which of these phrases best explains why? All right, and we will take a look at those phrases and the results. And we will discuss them later today in the overtime exclusively for Blaze TV subscribers at blazetv.com slash Dace. That's where you'll be able to go to watch it later today. And that's also where you can go right now and become a Blaze TV subscriber for a discount, just 10 bucks a month. When you go to blazetv.com slash days. So let us go to the montage. And I may surprise you here. We're, we are going to discuss Hannity pimping a Hunter Biden pardon for fake news or not later in the show. That was already on the docket. All right. Before Aaron highlighted it in his montage. So consider that a tease. So for fake news or not later in the program, we will discuss Hannity pimping the uh, suggesting to the Trump administration it smoothed things over uh, after January 6th by giving Hunter Biden a pardon. We will discuss that coming up in Fake News or Not a little bit later on with friends like Lindsey Graham and Sean Hannity. Who needs enemies, right? But I'm going to think, I think I'm going to probably surprise you. Like, where do you guys think, if just looking at what's in Aaron's rundown today to set the table, where do you guys think I want to go first? Pfizer. You think I want to go to Pfizer first? Good yes. What do you think, Todd? Oh, how about uh, tampons, scarcest product? <laughs> this is what happens now when you start putting the tampons in all the men's rooms as well. You run out. Okay. Uh, another good guess, but no, I actually want to go to the penultimate thing in your rundown. And it's this Axios dating poll. So these kinds of trend lines, they maybe have not been as stark as they are right now, but these kinds of polls have been done before. In fact, they've gone on for years. Some of them have iterations of go into business with, be friends with, date, marry, et cetera. I think this one was was dating and, and friends with, correct, Aaron? Among other things. Those uh, are the two I highlighted, though. Uh, okay. So these kinds of polls have gone on for years. And what it has shown for really more than a decade now is that people who identify as Republicans are much more likely to be friends with and, and have intimate relationships with people they disagree with than people who are Democrats, okay? I hope you're about to do what I hope you're about to do. I, in the past, and for many years when we had, when, when these polls would come out, it was kind of in the conservative media handbook. Um, there are just certain things that, you know, the handbook says we are required to do to butter your bread, to basil your ripple, all right? To mash your potato, and 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 this is one of them. I want a second Todd's uh, Todd's sentiment there just a couple moments ago. Okay, then maybe you can see where this might be going. Yeah. All right. And 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 this is because you know 
we're trying to keep this thing together. We're, we're, we're not like you. We're better than you. We understand that people have different viewpoints. And a lot of the times, the things we have different viewpoints about really aren't worth separating over. I'm not saying I fully agree with this. But I do think it is time, perhaps, to suggest, at least as a point of discussion, that this is no longer amongst us on the right a point of, well, pride. For example, in the Christian ethic, in the biblical worldview, It is clearly articulated to, without compromising your own viewpoints, your own convictions and witnesses, to be in the world and not of it, to try to reach as many people and have relationships with as many people as you can because Jesus died for them too. There's a meme going around right now. I, I'll be brutally honest with you. I didn't have the stones to post it, but I really thought about it. Okay. And it's a meme of they're on the set of The Passion and Mel Gibson's talking to a bloodied Jim Caviezel, you know, where they're in the scenes where he's carrying the cross there uh, on the Appian Way. Or no, it wasn't at the Appian Way. That was the sidewalk. I can't, that, uh, never mind. Bad reference. And and so he's getting ready to carry the cross to Golgotha. And, and so they're in between takes. And the meme is... Me trying to explain to Jesus why it's okay to drop communists from helicopters. <laughs> and, and the point is, here is Caviezel playing Jesus at, um, at, at almost the peak of his suffering on behalf of sinners like us. And, and I'm reasoning with him, are you sure we can't exempt this group? You sure? I mean, they're really bad. They're like the worst, okay? And, and, and I, I've... Shouldn't have found found it funny. You you snorted. Okay. Yep. I'm just going to be brutally honest with you again. It's kind of where I'm at right now. Okay. It's just kind of where I am. I'm not saying I'm proud of it. That's why I didn't post that meme. All right. I'm not saying I'm proud of it. Okay. But I, I can feel, I even said this to my wife yesterday. I, I, I can feel my empathy slipping away. There was a, there's a thread on Twitter. I'm going to share it on my socials later today. There's a thread on Twitter from somebody who detransitioned and what their life is like now. And I, I'm not sure that there's ever been anything on an issue I cover where I got into reading it and I had to just tap out in the middle. I couldn't, I couldn't do this anymore. I, it, it, it was so simultaneously heartbreaking. I wanted to weep and then infuriating that, um, someone needs to pay for this and I would like to be the bill collector. And since I'm a guy and emotionally immature, I can completely cannot <laughs> just, I can't handle feeling one of those things at once, let alone both of them. Okay. So I'm like, I just, my head exploded. I got to tap out. I can't continue on with this because I don't know how to emotionally process this. Okay. And I, I can feel empathy my empathy slipping away, which is not a good place, by the way. By the way. It's, not, it's not a good place for a believer to be. 
All right, so this is a confession as much as anything else. But in the biblical worldview, the, the standard is when it comes to friendly relationships, by all means, try to reach as diverse of a group of people within your sphere of influence as you can. But when it comes to intimate relationships, don't be unevenly yoked. Don't make covenants with people who don't know what a covenant is and whom you're ultimately responsible to for breaking it. So there's a very clearly defined standard there within a biblical worldview. Very clearly defined. Do we need to here in the socio-cultural political sphere? It, should we continue to see it, gentlemen, as a point of pride? That we are so easily willing to, on an intimate level, align ourselves with people who don't share our value system. Or is it time to maybe reassess all this talk of national divorce? How about just on a granular level? I mean, I don't know. Is this something that we should, is this something to continue to be proud of on the right? Or is this something that requires some level of reassessment? Gentlemen, what do you think? You know, I was thinking about something along these lines, a different context, and I get the political, American political landscape is not one-to-one akin with the admonition to not be unevenly yoked. But um, you ever hear... You ever hear of a believer, an Orthodox who believes in some form of Orthodox Christianity? You ever hear of a, of a believer knowingly marrying an unbeliever and that ending well? I hear all sorts of stories, praise the Lord, of two unbelievers getting married, one coming to the Lord and then the other following. I hear all sorts of stories like that. When I put that in the montage, I kind of hoped that you would talk about this because this is the exact direction that I hoped that, that it would go. Hmm. Um, I want the, I, I kind of want the, the, the ratios to be flipped. You, you can't share a country. You can't share, um, you can't share a, a, a relationship, whole cloth, with people who can't define what a woman is. Yeah, how do I share a home with someone who doesn't know what a woman is? Exactly. How do I do that? You can't share uh, at a micro or macro level. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean that you should completely shun everyone. But we're talking about going out on a date, romantic, romance, things like that. Being friends with that's kind of ambiguous. But I, I guess it depends. I, I suppose on the on the individual circumstance. But in the context that you laid out, yes, it's always been a, a point of pride for those on the right that uh, we are above all of this. I just think that needs a reevaluation. Because if you are a, a true believer, you go into a marriage relationship covenant with somebody who is not. I've never heard of that working out well. And I know the context is different, but we need to be we need to we need to change our outlook we need to change our posture into one of more confrontation because that's the time that's the time that it is the time of 
of uh, of winsomeness. Maybe there is a time for that every now and again, but overall, whole cloth, the time for uh, just trying the path of of winsomeness and and our niceness will win you over. That that's long gone. What do you think, Todd? Uh, well, yeah, it's long past time to reevaluate this. Uh, it's the Venn diagram. Listen, when the circles overlapped, and they did overlap. I, listen, I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin. I went to the University of Wisconsin. Most of my friends that go back the farthest are people of the left, to one way or the other. Uh, and there was there was a commonality on a multitude of things. That that the circles are. If you're lucky, they're they're like touching now, but they're not intersecting. And therefore, when they continue to operate on the fact that you are the other, but you keep nostalgically wishing otherwise, they have you right where they want you, psychologically and emotionally, to manipulate you because you just want to be comfortable. I keep saying that, but that's the crack. We are just addicted to it. We, we want a, a sense of belonging, an image, a warm fuzzy, a safety zone, something like that, that simply doesn't exist anymore. And it's not mercurial. It's not hard to figure out. They keep telling you. They keep promising you. So listen, when, when that happens and you don't act accordingly... That's I don't want to hear any jokes about dementia Joe from you. If you're I don't. Because you have dementia. And I don't care if you're 30 in the prime of your life. You aren't seeing reality for what it is. Steve, when I said I hope you're going to do what I hope you're going to do, the scripture I had in my head is and you said it, don't be unequally yoked. Mm-hmm. This is the math will never work. They're counting on you being stuck there so they can just constantly use you. You're you're, uh, Grover Dill. You're just the little toady. That's all you are, and that's all you ever be. That's a hell of an analogy. I mean, how do you go home at night? I mean, I don't care how hot he or she is. How do you go home at night and share a home with someone who unapologetically voted for a person who thinks you're a lab rat? Um, who prioritizes the borders of Ukraine over your own? Who has no guilt or any remorse at all about what they've done to your fuel costs? Steve, your who, point. Who, who, yes. who openly promotes the most demonic levels of of the of the pride agenda? I mean, how, how do you do that? I mean, I, I, like. I got. I, I would assume abolitionists didn't marry Confederates, you know, in the 1850s. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, other than other than the fact he thinks that you know owning uh, human beings as property is totally kosher, you know, he's a good provider. I, I just maybe that went on. I I don't know. That just seems that just seems odd AF to me. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Remember to make your point that. And- Every Democrat in Iowa, not California, not Massachusetts, every Democrat in the Iowa legislature in both houses voted to say that boys should play girls sports. Everyone. What do you do with that? Obviously, we haven't been winsome enough, Todd. 
<laughs> you know, I remember a few years ago on the show, we had open conversations about how, uh, and I even used this term, the Kurt Schlichterization of the right. Do you remember me even yeah. using this term? And I'm a little concerned about where this may ultimately go. And maybe we're not in a place where the threat level justifies that level of confrontation. Before we went on the air, I sent you an email. What was it? We got to get this guy on to talk it about was his a, book. It was a pitch for Kurt Schlichter's latest book. I'm like, we should get this guy on. Yeah. And I I just don't know how else to respond to the things that I... the the. And I just gave you a brief laundry list of things. How, how else am I supposed to respond to that? How would I... If, if you are able to respond to that and not struggle to lose your empathy in the process... Share that with me. You are, you, and I'm dead serious. You're a lot better human being than me. Because I'm contemplating dropping communist out of helicopter memes. Okay? That's where I'm at. I mean, I, I, I just, I don't know how you could not face the temptation to go overboard in the face of what we are facing. And so if you're not if you're there, man, you still got that peace that passes all understanding and you're totally content with all this and you're not stirred up and it's not because you've like given yourself over to it, but you're like, you're Zen. Share that with, share that with the rest of us, bro, because I, I'm struggling to, to stay anything remotely close to there. Well, if you already were not thinking of alternatives for your child's education this fall, you will be here after we're done talking to Matt Walsh in a few minutes. So uh, that is why, let me tell you right now, again, about our friends over at Freedom Project Academy. They have perfected the art of online learning uh, with a classical education. What does that mean? It means that your kid will be educated the way that the people who founded framed the country, uh, the way they were educated. Mastery of subject matter, not spirit of the age, propaganda, uh, how to think, not what to think. Think critical thinking is not only encouraged, it's demanded. And I know this firsthand because I know the people who started this school, we were in the trenches together fighting back against Common Core. And I had my own son, Noah, enrolled in Freedom Project Academy for a couple of years. So I got to see it up close and personal. That's why I would recommend that you get a free information packet right now and act fast. Spots are filling up fast for this fall. You can get that free information packet when you go to Freedom for School, F-O-R, preposition, not numerical, freedomforschool.com. Again, freedomforschool.com. Don't wait. Again, classes are filling up already for the fall. Well, this has become a sensation and very deservedly so because it is a weapon of mass destruction, I think, in America's cold civil war, which used to be known as a culture war, but has gone even more comprehensive and transcendent than that. And the man behind it joins us now, uh, old friend of the show, Matt Walsh from The Daily Wire. It is good to see you again, brother. How you been? Uh, doing great, Steve. Thanks for having me again. First of all, before we get into the nuts and bolts and the substance of, of what uh, you guys uncover in your documentary and show, I just wanted to personally, as someone who does this for a living alongside people like you, these are the sorts of things that make our job, industry, movement-wide, easier. I think this is one of the most effective weapons I've seen uh, against the spirit of the age in the entirety of the 15 years I've been doing this full time. 
And I just wanted to, on a personal level, thank and congratulate you and the entire production team over there that put this thing together because it's absolutely a masterstroke. Well, I really appreciate that. It means a lot coming from you. I, I uh, that, That's what we were trying to do is kind of get outside of the uh, conservative podcast bubble where I where I spend most of my time. And I, I think there's a lot of value in uh, in what we do with the podcast and that sort of thing. But can we, especially on this issue, which I've been talking about for years, uh, can we find a way to break outside of that and connect with a larger audience? And, and also, especially to have them sort of confront this issue um, in a way that I think a lot of people haven't yet. And uh, so far, it seems to have to have uh, to work pretty well. So we're excited about that. Before we get into the arguments and the evidence presented in the documentary, take us behind the scenes in the making of it. How does something go from conceptually, hey, this is a, an issue, it's a concept, it's a virtue, it's an ideal that we are discussing in our you know conservative podcast silos, as you put it. But how how does it go from there to what we see on our screens as a documentary? Who and what, alongside, obviously, your poignant question, that's kind of the impetus for all of the MacGuffin for all this, but how does that go from concept to what we saw? Who, who gets credit for that? Well, I think it goes back, uh, I mean, it goes back years, really. I, it, uh, it occurred to me <clears throat> years ago, and uh, I'm not the only person it occurred to, obviously, that this question is, uh, is something that kind of tears down the gender ideology house of cards uh, because the left, they they can they literally cannot answer. There's no answer they can give that uh, won't have the effect of delegitimizing everything they say about gender. And so I spent years just kind of asking the question rhetorically, asking it on social media, asking it in podcasts, doing speeches, like just throwing it out there. I'd like for someone on the left to try to engage with this, and none of them ever did. And so then I started thinking about, well, what what are ways, what are some schemes here that I can come up with to find a way to put this question in front of some of these people. Because if I just tweet it out, then it's really easy to ignore. How can I do this in a way where they can't ignore it? And I thought about that for a while and the idea for for this, for the film kind of popped into my head. And it, it it's fortunate that this popped into my head when I worked at The Daily Wire because I took it to you know, the team here at The Daily Wire. Um, my boss is at The Daily Wire. And uh, I think at a, at a lot of places, if I had brought them this idea, they probably would have laughed me out of the room or they would have said that like, there's no way we're doing this. There's too much risk involved. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a toxic radioactive subject, but they were fully on board for it from the beginning. And then, um, you know, work with my team, Justin Folk is a great director on the film uh, to kind of like, how do we, okay, so here's the idea for it. And this is the question. This is the, this is the, the message and the, what, what I want to accomplish with it. But then the next part of this is how do we make this into a, an actual story, into an actual film? And for that part of it, I have no idea. I have no experience at all. We needed actual filmmakers involved, uh, which is where Justin came in. So that was kind of the, the genesis of it. I think I mentioned this to you, or maybe it was our audience a couple of weeks ago. It reminded me in a way of Ben Stein's Expelled uh, from about 20 years ago. You and Ben have, I mean, he's certainly uh, a lot more monotone, but in, in terms of the the sort of academic, ecclesiastical uh, way of just addressing things very plainly uh, that gets people's attention amidst histrionics, and, and the way that he goes about uh, getting Richard Dawkins to admit I don't know, maybe aliens brought crystals and, 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 and seeded our DNA and that's where human life came from by just asking them repeatedly the question of why. 
why so so you think you know what the origin of human life is but why can you answer that question and and the way that you do that uh with what's a woman and then the way just as he did where he actually got some of the leading expositors of of, th- of their own ideology to come on camera and and i remember thinking after watching that many years ago how did he get these people to come on camera and just wet themselves like this. And I thought that way after I watched uh, What's a Woman for the first time too. So how did you get them to come on? I mean, you're not someone with an insignificant audience. You're very successful. Does nobody Google? I was, that, I was more jealous of that than anything else. I'd love to get an opportunity uh, one-on-one with a lot of the people that you do. So how'd you get them to do it and on camera, Matt? Well, I think part of so there's two, two things to keep in mind. One is that we started this a year ago, and um, so this was before. Obviously, it's before the film came out itself, right? And uh, before Doctor Phil and you know the the children's book Johnny the Walrus. So there's like things that have happened over the last year that have increased my own visibility. And uh, this all started before all of that, so mm-hmm. I had that working to my advantage. But more than that, uh, I think the the number one advantage we had is that the people we're talking to exist in a in their own bubble and it is it was at the time inconceivable to them that anyone would actually challenge them on this topic of all mm. topics they they live in a you know talking to a gender studies professor for example um, the idea that anyone would sit across from him and actually challenge him on not just not just some of the little details here and there but the but the basic underlying premise of his entire worldview it has never happened to him before or any of these people. They they couldn't conceive of it happening. It didn't even occur to them that it might happen. And so when we told them that, hey, we'd like to talk about gender, uh, you know, broadly, and uh, which is what we did talk about, they just kind of, you know, assumed. They, they drew a lot of assumptions from that and felt, I think, comfortable uh, because it just didn't occur to them that it could go, go this way. Who came up with the idea of... Uh, let's, you know, it's ironic. The first Protestant uh, denomination that went complete rainbow jihad about 20 years ago were the Episcopalians. And when the when the conservatives in the denomination tried to save that denomination, uh, they ended up actually tr- trying to uh, uh, create more African Anglican uh, bishops as a way and elevate them into more of the authority structure in the church in order to save it. So this has kind of come full circle uh, you know, 300 years ago, some Episcopalians might have owned blacks as slaves in America. 300 years later, they're now going to Africa to try. The West is the East and the East is the West now uh, to try to save their denomination. And I thought of that, too, when I watched the scenes in the film where you go to Africa and just talk to tribal people who haven't been tainted or touched by any of this political correctness. They live in a very plain, simple existence where things are pretty cut and dried because survival is the highest order of the day, right? Whose idea was it to do that? Yeah, that was really, I think that was kind of a team effort. We, once we had the basic idea for the film, I'm sitting with the creative team and we were talking about how to game this thing out and where do we take it? How far do we go? We, we wanted to go as far as possible with it, both kind of metaphorically and, and literally just take this all the way to the ends of the earth. And, um, then it kind of we, we started brainstorming about well let's go let's go outside of the Western world and present these ideas to people who've never encountered it and from there it was really a question of like where, where do you go and it, you run to the challenge of first of all how do you in this day and age how do you find a place and where where uh, mm-hmm. that hasn't been influenced by these ideas and ideally we, we wanted not just that they haven't been influenced by it but that they haven't even really heard of any of this stuff that's what we wanted to find. And uh, then it just seemed obvious at that point that you need to find, a, you know, a, a tribe, a traditional tribe somewhere 
Um, and we started looking at, you know, which what what tribe can we realistically go talk to? And that's how we settled on um, the Maasai tribe. But the thing is, just before going there, it was like it's obviously a big investment of time and money by Daily Wire, especially to go on this uh, mission to Africa. And it seems pretty crazy. But before we went there, we really we didn't exactly know how it would go. We, we, we were pretty sure they probably never heard of these ideas. We didn't know that for sure, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, but then once we actually started talking to them, this was, we, I, you know, we were all thinking in the crew, like, this is exactly what we came here for. This could not have worked better. Um, and, uh, yeah, it ends up being a, I think a pretty, it's my, my own personal favorite part of the film is, is that. When did you know, when did you know, you know what? I think we have a W we've got a Moab here. When did you know? It was, uh, it was honestly, it was after the very first interview we did, which is the first interview in the film that appears in the film with a gender affirming, um, therapist. And, um, th- I think after that interview, before we would do that interview, we had no idea if any of this would work at all. And I was kind of 50, 50 on whether the whole thing would even work. After that interview, we all knew right then we left that the therapist's office and we kind of looked at each other and we thought, well, okay, we, we have something here. Um, the fact that you know, we were, that she was ready to affirm me as a woman, not ironically, (laughs) fully ready to affirm me as a woman, because (laughs) I said that I like scented candles and I've watched sex in the city. Um, (laughs) the fact that she was willing to do that just kind of told us that, okay, this, this, this is the way to go. Also, we kind of learned, this is the strategy just in completely straight face. Don't give anything away and, uh, just ask questions. And we kind of took that on from there. What about the reaction to the film since it's released has stood out the most to you or surprised you the most? Uh, I guess I have been a little bit surprised. I mean, I said that we, we wanted to go outside of the conservative podcast bubble. We wanted to get this to a more mainstream audience. And so I don't know if I could say I'm surprised that we that we did that. But to the extent that uh, that that has worked, I've, I've been a little bit surprised by especially you know, I've heard from a lot of people, a lot who uh, identify themselves not just as moderate, but as like full on liberal leftist, whatever. And um, I've heard from a lot of people in that in that category who say that uh, they really appreciated the film. They were shocked by it. it you know, the, all these things. And um, I guess that was the part I hoped for that, but uh, I didn't, I'm surprised by the, the extent that that has, has worked out. I think we've lost the art of storytelling. You know, I mean, Tolkien and uh, Lewis sitting around having a pint there uh, at a pub, realizing that the West has kind of forgotten how to tell the great story that is an allegory that points people to what, you know, Lewis eventually called the old magic. And I think that your film does that. And so the final question I want to ask you is, I mean, on a self-serving level, I'm putting the finishing touches on my own film based on one of my own works, trying to accomplish something similar to reach a wider audience with, with, with what we think is an important message in this culture before the clock runs out. People that are listening right now, what advice would you give them? Because I do think there is, it's, that's not to say what we do on our podcast and our shows every day lacks value because that's how we feed our families. But ultimately, we've got to reach a wider, uh, a wider lens of an audience than we currently are. And storytelling, I think, is our vehicle to do that. Um, what advice would you give for others in our movement, our industry, to say, hey, here is how we can have that more of a, a cross-cultural impact? Uh, well, I think you kind of you kind of said it that that you know we we want to focus on storytelling, f- find a way to. It's not that the message doesn't matter, but the I think the the mistake that we've made so much among as conservatives, especially when it comes to entertainment, 
is that we put the message at the forefront and then everything else is secondary. Everything's really an afterthought. And we think, well, as long as the message is right, as long as we have the message right, then this is a valuable piece of content. And that's not always the case because, um, yeah, people can watch it and say, well, I basically agree with what is being said there. But if it doesn't connect with them on any mm -hmm. kind of level, if, they, if it doesn't resonate with them emotionally, then it's just not going to have the impact that you want. I think this is a problem with a lot of, uh, you know, so-called Christian entertainment. Not all of it, but a lot of it. You find this there where the story, there's not a lot of emphasis on the actual storytelling it's part itself. Now, as far as, as telling a good story, I would... Um, I think I'd be misrepresenting myself if I started giving advice on that because I'm not. I mean, I had we had Dallas Sonier, who's the producer, and Justin Folk, and they were the ones who turned this into a good story. If it was up to me, it would not be like this. They had to keep pulling me back because I wanted to. I kept wanting to change it and make it more aggressive, mm -hmm. like make it more like a podcast. And mm -hmm. they had to keep telling me that no, this is not a podcast. This is a this is a film. Um, so uh, maybe another piece of advice is to is to you know connect with other people, other creative people who have talents you don't, because that's certainly part of how this movie uh, came to be. Well, you've been on a roll, brother. I thought uh, the the rending of a home in Virginia, I thought was one of the most masterful trolls I saw all of last year. Uh, uh, this film, I think, is I think it's a tremendous asset uh, in the conflict that's going on culturally right now. So uh, I'm happy to see your success. It's all deserved and appreciated because downstream it's helping people like me. So thank you, brother. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. Thanks a lot. Really you got appreciate it. it. God bless. Gentlemen, your thoughts? I'm fascinated by that last thing he said about he had to keep being held back because that was the question I had about him. He made his bones writing columns. He's clearly a smart guy, but he would just viscerally just say, yes. this is the dumbest thing ever yes. said in history. Yeah. And he he rarely did that on that. He just played the straight man. Yeah. And so, and that for, for him, for you, for me, that is very hard to do when you see the jugular and you just want to rip it out and yes. show it to them. Yeah. But he ended up doing that in the end by being patient. Yeah. Just let them hoist themselves yes. from their own petards instead. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And there were a couple of, uh, along the lines with what he said was the most surprising thing post release of the documentary. How many people who describe themselves as moderate or liberal, what have you, coming out and, and, and basically uh, saying kudos for this. I made the same comment to you as well. I, I you know, a couple of days after we saw the screener um, and, and it was released, Matt was trending on Twitter and the number of people who said something akin to, I hate his politics, but holy cow, uh, to some of these yeah, clips that I were saw some out. of those too. Yeah, that's guys. That's why it was my best of the week a couple of weeks ago or one of my best of the week a couple of weeks ago to see your enemies absolutely crumble. And then to see those who were not necessarily allied with you say, uh, yeah, I'm glad they're crumbling. Uh, this is this is ridiculous. That's a good thing. That's actually a cause at least for a little bit of optimism. That's how you take ground. Yep. That's why that's how you create. A, that's how you're not just preaching to the choir, but you become a force multiplier right there. Great stuff. Hour two is next. We are back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace, your Totters, and Aaron McIntyre. Don't forget, you can let us know what you think about what we think by emailing the show, steve at stevedace.com, D-E-A-C-E. -E. You can also like us on Facebook, MeWe, Parlor and Gab. 
Look for me at Steve Day Show on Twitter, Getter, Instagram, and TikTok. We're also now up on Trump's Truth Social at Real Steve Day. You can find us there, and you can get clips of the show free of any censorship and free to watch when you go to rumble.com slash Steve Day Show as well. Those of you that are podcast listeners, we appreciate you. You're a big part of our audience. Please, if you've yet to do so, leave us a five-star review if you like us. If you don't like us, we wouldn't ask you to lie. You might be thinking, but what if we kind of like you? Then we clearly, though, would ask you to embellish and exaggerate. We are not um, above that. We would not ask you to lie, but we would clearly ask you to exaggerate. So we only want one or five-star reviews, uh, but preferably the five-star ones. So please leave us more of those. That I don't know what it accomplishes other than it certainly uh, soothes our fragile male egos and it pleases the mucky mucks here at The Blaze as well. Thank you to all of you that have left us one of those five-star reviews. Hit subscribe and follow as well to make sure that whenever we post something new, it shows up in your feed automatically. This part of the show brought to you by our friends over at Public SQ, whether it is healthcare, we'll be talking about that here in a moment, or virtually any other industry, it is very clear we need to build a parallel economy wherever we can. And that's why you want to get this new app available now in the Google Store or the Apple Store. Public SQ for Public Square. It's an opportunity uh, for you to connect and help to build because we're looking for people that will list their businesses in states across the country here for free as well. So this is kind of a launching grassroots effort. It's not a finished product yet. We're attempting to sort of build now this uh, reference guide of the parallel economy Uh, all throughout the country. Download the app today. Check it out. It's a great app. It's already got a lot of great places on there for you to frequent with people who share your value systems and make sure uh, you give your hard-earned money to them instead. But it needs even more. It maybe needs you. Maybe needs your business. Check it out today when you go to and download the app. Public SQ for Public Square in the Apple App Store or Google Play. Create a free account and begin your search and you're off today. The name of the book, The Courage to Face COVID-19, Preventing Hospitalization and Death While Battling the Biopharmaceutical Complex, uh, written by one of our favorites here, Dr. Peter McCullough and his co-author as well, John Leake. Both of them join us here today on Blaze TV. Gentlemen, it's a pleasure to have you with us here on the program. Welcome aboard. How are you? Well, thank you. Thanks for having us. So, Peter, you're very familiar to our audience. If you don't mind, let me start with John this time. John, tell us a little bit about you, how you got involved in this project. Um, I'm a true crime author, grew up in Dallas, Texas. I studied abroad. I lived abroad for for many years, Um, got interested in true crime as a genre, kind of learning it on the fly, investigating some crime stories that I thought had the merit to to be interesting books. Um, Through my true crime experience, I became somewhat adept at reading forensic medical literature and So when SARS-CoV-2 arrived in the United States, I was actually home for an extended visit over Christmas. I began to notice quite quickly a lot of what our public health agencies and mainstream media was telling us about this new uh, invading virus um, did not seem plausible to me at all. Um, And as we got into learning more about it, Um, I noticed that any um, suggestion that the virus or the disease that it caused was treatable was instantly and categorically shot down. We we were told that SARS-CoV-2 presents an equal threat to the entire population. 
young athletes as much as the the elderly and the frail. I knew that couldn't be true quite quickly. And then we were told that it was unassailable, that there was absolutely no treatment modality, not even a partial treatment could help. And I strongly sense, well, that's not true either. Um, I realized I needed a top medical authority to uh, go over this and try and interpret what was going on. But he also needed to be a top medical authority who was questioning this orthodoxy that we were getting hit with. And so it was a happy coincidence that I was able to get in touch with Peter McCullough, um, who happens to live down the street from me in Dallas. So it all came together. We started writing a book together a year ago, and now it's just come out. It's fascinating that someone who made their bones writing about true crime uh, is attracted to covering uh, what I like to call COVID stand because the, there's there's some true crime uh, that hap- that has been happening here uh, for the last 20, going on 27 months for sure. Peter, um, uh, you know, I... It would be, frankly, a violation of the dude code and, and would embarrass both of us if if I flattered you any more than I already have. All right. So um, let me try to stick to the facts here. You risked a lot pushing back on this. You are a you are a very uh, respected, both academic and clinician, both. Um, you had started, edited journals. Um, your resume is listed on universities, highly acclaimed universities. Uh, that you didn't even attend, just in recognition of your work all over the country. And so where did this conviction come from where you were willing to go against a lot of your peers and the groupthink that was being instantly uh, deposited here? Where, Where did this conviction come from for you that you started to challenge this narrative? Steve, thanks for having me on the show. As introduced, I'm a practicing internist and cardiologist in Dallas, Texas. I wore my University of Michigan tie for you today, Steve. <laughs> even though, uh, and here yeah, I am wearing a red shirt. My bad. I, that, that's a that's a foul right there. My bad, Peter. Go ahead. Yes. And you you can see you know behind me that uh, you know I attended uh, Baylor University, then University of Texas Southwestern, University of Washington, University of Michigan. Uh, William Beaumont Hospital, now the Oakland University William Beaumont School of Medicine. Uh, I got a subsequent degree from Southern Methodist University. I trained in the best institutions. I finished at the top of my class. And prior to COVID-19, I was the most uh, uh, heavily cited and most frequently uh, published person, the most published person in the interface between heart and kidney disease. So in many ways, I was in a position of medical authority and leadership to step up on COVID and try to help my junior colleagues move forward. The shocking thing is the junior colleagues with lesser scientific and publication experience did not uh, did not get on the, the program to treat patients and prevent hospitalizations and death. So here we went, uh, you know, as we started working on this problem, doctors always had a duty to treat or a duty to refer. They didn't have uh, an option to tell patients there was no treatment. That was a crime. Um, You know, if a patient called me right now and had a medical problem, let's say uh, a uh, appendicitis, and I said, oh, I don't treat appendicitis. And then the patient said, well, then what, what do I do? If I don't refer that patient to a doctor who does, 
and the patient dies. That's actually malpractice. Mm. So I doctors always have a duty to treat or a duty to refer. So many, there's been 10 million people hospitalized, a million people have died of or with COVID-19. The vast majority actually didn't get treatment or didn't get referred for treatment. One of the questions, Peter, that we have wrestled with on our show a lot over the last 27 months is whether what what emerged here in our healthcare system with COVID-19, whether it was a harvest, meaning that these seeds had been planted long ago, and this now is when the bill comes due, or was this just an outlier and the system completely got caught with its knickers down, and then at, 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 and then by the time it was clear they were on the wrong track, bureaucratic rigor mortis sets in. You know, people don't like to admit they're wrong, whether they're politicians or uh, clinicians, and so we just perpetuated uh, this scam. What do you think it was? Yeah, I've been on a lot of interviews. People ask me that question. I think now, I think originally it was fear among the doctors and healthcare providers. There was paralysis by analysis, meaning uh, that people kept saying, "Well, you know, before we treat, we need more evidence or we need more certainty." But I, I think as things moved on, it became more insidious than than that. And I think John has has put a lot of academic analysis on that. So then, John, we'll go to you. What is the so uh, my mom is in town visiting. OK, and just, to, you know, my mom had me at 15, nearly aborted me, had to drop out of high school, went back, got her GED, went to college. She was a nurse. She worked ERs, age units, med stations, outpatient clinics. She did that for like 20 years, then worked the administrative side side before retiring for health insurance companies and, and has just been stunned, aghast, blown away, appalled at what has become of her industry. And we were talking about this last night after dinner. And when I mentioned to her, in, and I just assumed she knew that Mayo, Cleveland Clinic, these major hospital systems are denying kidney transplants to kids if they don't get the COVID jab. It blew her mind. She's like, what? What? Like she stopped me. She did not know this. She had not heard this. And, and she kept asking me, what, how would they justify that? Well, let me ask you that question, John. What's, what is the academic justification for why we would deny a kidney transplant or any transplant to a child or for, frankly anyone if they don't get a jab for uh, a virus that even if it's at, at its most virulent you could you still had about 99 percent odds of recovering from well this this isn't um ethical reasoning is is not part of what's going on here there's a complete unmooring of, of ethics from policy these are top-down hierarchical policy decisions um, that are originating in our public health agencies in Washington, D.C. Um, we know that our hospital uh, system is, is now very um, closely tied in with um, federal agencies um, and institutions, um, Medicare and Medicaid being probably two of the most important. So. We don't really have independent doctors. Well, we have some independent doctors who have maintained independent clinics. Uh, they tended to be the guys that stepped up to the plate. But these huge hospital-affiliated health systems, they're very much plugged into a, a, a broader bureaucratic system of, that is tied into federal money in, in Washington. So what we see in this in this story is these top-down directives. If you're a doctor 
you work at a major health center, you receive an email from the hospital administrator stating, you know, this is our policy with respect to SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19 illness. Most of these doctors have invested decades into their careers to get to that position mm -hmm. in the hospital, and they don't want to imperil it. Um, so I don't, not to flatter Dr. McCullough, but he was a guy who worked his whole life with enormous diligence and discipline. He had arrived at this moment in his career um, at this hospital. And, um, but he just said, you know, I can't, I can't obey a directive and not treat my patients. My, my first allegiance is to the Hippocratic Oath. Mm. So it, if I if I can't obey the dictates of my conscience, then I'm not going to play this game. So he was willing to you know, suffer the, the 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 penalty. But you know, I lived in Vienna, Austria, for 15 years, and it was always this long shadow of the Third Reich and all of these naive young journalists asking, you know, how could our grandparents have participated in this dictatorial? Right criminal regime, you know, if I had been alive in Vienna right. in 1938, I would have never have done that. And I, I always just said, yeah, right. Uh, you would have been the first. You would have you. You get a visit from some Gestapo guy saying there's a new sheriff in town. And if you want to keep your job or your university professorship or your editorship of a daily newspaper, you're going to have to toe the line. Mm -hmm. All of these people would have towed the line. Mm -hmm. Um, so this is the, the hierarchical structure of the human condition. We, we do obey. Um, we, we are not really interested in imperiling our, our position in society or economically. We don't want to lose our job. So it comes down, so, it comes down to courage. It comes down to comprehensively. Courage. That's, that's the primary moral yeah. quality in our book. Now, battling the biopharmaceutical complex um, this is actually a very uh, relatively straightforward um, complex. It's it's akin to our military industrial complex that Eisenhower warned about. Um, so in our book, we we identify and and delineate this biopharmaceutical complex and and how it has exerted tremendous influence. Um, on our public health institutions. Um, that is ultimately where all of this madness mm -hmm. is coming from. Along those lines too, Peter, one of the conversations I, my, I got into with my mom last night is when I mentioned to her that I had just had Naomi Wolf on my show about her new book. And she was just like blown away that I had a former Clinton administration official on my show. And, and I said to my mom, I'm like, well... For a lot of years, people like Naomi thought that big business was going to bring uh, tyranny uh, and fascism to America. And people like me thought that big government was going to do it. And what we learned over the last 27 months is we were both wrong and right. Uh, that big business and big government would get together and do it and do it together against us. And just an example is the fact that, you know, it used to be I, I relied on government regula regulators like the FDA to save me from things like Pfizer trying to experiment on my kids. And now... The government regulators just sign off on it, and it's hard to tell which side is the private sector and which side is the public regulator. They're just all kind of like one big club, and we're not in it. Or is that a more too cynical of an analysis? No, that's correct. I think Americans should look at some straightforward examples. For instance, uh, the CEOs of both Pfizer and Moderna 
are on major media advising Americans to take uh, vaccines, take their product. And, uh, you know, for a emergency use authorized medicinal product, uh, we, you know, the only thing those CEOs should be doing is, is answering questions on safety to make sure they're safe for Americans. But in no way should they be providing advice on th- third and fourth shots because, you know, they have an obvious conflict of interest. Uh, the former uh, two FDA chairmen, one is Scott Gottlieb for Pfizer. He's now you know, uh, on the board of Pfizer. He advises America on CNBC frequently to take vaccines. He's mm-hmm. on the board of Pfizer. Uh, the, the chairman after him was Stephen Hahn. Stephen Hahn has joined the venture capital firm for Moderna. Uh, people should look at these conflicts of interest and understand that uh, this is not the, the government uh, and, the, and the pharmaceutical companies and the other stakeholders, what we call really a vaccine syndicate. They're not behaving in the best interest for the public. If there's anything good that came out of this, it's something that I know you guys highlight in the book, and that is that there were sort of these disparate factions of independent providers whether it's, you know, and, and the new alliance called the Global COVID Summit or Frontline Doctors or Pierre Corey and the Frontline Critical Care Alliance, the, yourself, of course, Peter, just this amalgamation of people that were independently at first, like, what in the Sam Hill are we doing here and start pushing back on it. And it does seem as if maybe some form of parallel economy has been created here within healthcare. I know you guys now meet a lot more together, talk a lot more together, do events and stuff together around the country. Is this kind of helped to create a much needed alternative provider network from that biopharmaceutical, uh, you know, uh, conglomerate that you were just describing? It's clearly, I mean, I, I, I would, I would say that, that the, the first salutary benefit of all of this, it's, is it, it has enabled at least a, a stratum of our population to, to understand, you know, the way the world really works. I mean, this is an archetypal story. There's a reason why everybody loves Star Wars. Star Wars is, is an archetypal story. It, it goes back to myth, to, to all of the great stories um, that humankind has always found so compelling what Dr. McCullough and his colleagues are is they're the rebel alliance, <laughs> the biopharmaceutical complex. And it's funny because a lot of these nerdy guys love Star Wars growing up. They're not aware that they're part of the empire on this thing. And I, <laughs> I say that I, I say that not not in a an entirely jesting way. I know. I know. We we see how the human mind is seduced by power and money what George Lucas called the dark side of the force, power and money, the desire to exert ever greater control on all of mankind. It is an empire, an arrogant, presumptuous empire building impulse. And these guys aren't satisfied with one jurisdiction. They wanna rule the whole human race. And this is what we show in the biopharmaceutical complex. This is not a conspiracy theory. These guys are completely out in the open with all of this. This is all on video. I mean, history has shown when people tell you who they are, believe them. Peter, you want to comment on that as well? I was going to say that it's formative uh, for sure. Actually, many people at the Freedom Rally 
uh, uh, this weekend in Nashville. Mention your name, Steve. I wanted to wow. call that out. Well, that thank it's you. It's not just it's not just the doctors. You know, there's nurses, independent media, commentators. Uh, you know, there are some fearless media uh, hosts that have uh, you know sought me out and people in my circles for a, 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 some type of discourse, some type of alternative uh, interpretation from the uh, the narrative, if you will, coming down from the biopharmaceutical complex. And congratulations to them. We should always have free and full scientific discourse. So the Global COVID Summit is about 17,000 doctors worldwide wow. uh, that fundamentally have said, listen, we should treat this and we need to be cautious on the vaccine. And now the World Council for Health is an umbrella organization representing about 70 health freedom organizations. And they have this month formally called, last fall they called for a pause in the worldwide vaccine program. Now they're just, they're straight out calling, pull all the products off the market. So we need some group with authority, with comprehensive data analysis to make the call. And we just, we need to drop them. Final thing before we let you guys go, Peter, I'd be remiss if I did not ask a clinical question. So where are we at with the virus? What do you see when you treat? And are you seeing a difference between those who are on their third or fourth booster compared to those who gave up after the initial dose or never took a jab? Can you kind of just give us a, a 10,000 foot view of what you're seeing right now treating COVID? We are on another wave. It's an Omicron subvariant wave. It's far smaller than the big Omicron BA1 wave that occurred in December, January this winter. Uh, the, so the peak is not as high. Uh, and there are fewer people infected simultaneously. It's a far, far milder syndrome, whether or not one has taken a vaccine or not. It has broken through natural immunity. Uh, there are some disturbing trends, though, seen in Canada, the UK, EU, Australia, and South Africa. That is the majority in the hospital, and those dying with COVID-19 are fully vaccinated. I think this is worrisome. And it may just be a selection. Those who are more frail have decided to take more and more shots, or it may be something directly pathogenic. The NIH has recently released a paper by Froman and colleagues showing the more vaccines that are taken, actually it impairs the immune response mm. when indeed they get the virus. So uh, I think this is, uh, I think is, is worrisome and, and disturbing. Uh, fewer and fewer people want to take the vaccines. We know a recent report in New York Times said that 35% of Americans aren't taking them and they're not taking boosters. And a large fraction of those have already had the illness. So if they get a second time, it'll be predictably mild. Name of the book, The Courage to Face COVID-19, Preventing Hospitalization and Death While Battling the Biopharmaceutical Complex. Dr. Peter McCullough and John Leake, the co-authors. Gentlemen, congratulations on the book and thank you both for your work on this and your time today. We appreciate you, all right? Take care. Thank, thank you. you. This portion of the show brought to you by our friends over at Rough Greens. You know, there's a reason that the supplement section at the stores is getting bigger and bigger and bigger because a lot of the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients we need from the foods we eat get stripped out of the foods we eat before they ever leave the factory for mass distribution and consumption. And we've got to put that stuff back in our system. So we're buying supplements these days. Unfortunately, the same thing is true of the pet's food for your dog. A lot of that is dead as a doornail as well. Your pet needs those vitamins and minerals and nutrients restored. And that's where 
Rough Greens comes in to restore them. It is the supplement powder for your pet. You mix it in with your dog's favorite food. And with that one act, you've restored the vast majority of what that food is lacking. But you might be wondering... Does it lack in taste? Will it lack in results? Well, one way to find out is if we give you the first 14-day Jumpstart bag for free for you to find out. You pay for the shipping, so you're invested in this, but we will give you the bag for free to get you started when you go to roughgreens.com. R-U-F-F for roughgreens.com. That's where you can go to take advantage of this, or you can give them a call at 833-ROUGH-DOG. Thoughts on the conversation we just had with John Leake and Dr. Peter McCullough. I'll just start off by uh, saying when John was talking about his time in Australia, all three of us chuckled uh, to some, uh, not Australia, Austria. Oh, there could be Australia now. (laughs) It could be, uh, Freudian slip. Chuckled when he talked about the naive journalists, young journalists, talking (laughs) about how could their grandparents, how could their grandparents do some of the things that they did and not stand up and resist some some of the atrocities that they were facing? The last two years for those types of people, and you know who they are. The journalists here, journalists here, the Karens here, many, many tickle a parson. Mm. You have become, you have become that. Actually, you haven't become that. You always were that. And you just showed your true colors. So going back to, you know, setting aside the data and the treatments and things like that. Overall, all-encompassing, this was, uh, this was, as you've said, Steve, it was a harvest. It was a reaping, I should say, because these seeds have been sown for generations, a couple of generations in this country. And what we've seen over the last two years is history doesn't uh, repeat, but it often rhymes, and that's... I think that's the big takeaway, at least from from John's portion of the interview there. Todd? Well, I know we've heard many, many different versions of what the Force is within Star Wars canon, so it's nice to see John really get down to the crux of the matter. At least somebody knows what's going on. Not the people making the movies, but he does. Uh, yeah, he, he nails this. And remember, the use of the Force, the dark side, power, absolutely right, but... In explaining it, remember, Obi-Wan tells young Luke who it works on. It works on the weak-minded. And that's a yo for everybody listening to this, because as I've told you well before anything about COVID, this is, this, the magical power of vaccines, right and left, young, it was, this was as close to a thing as gospel as any non-gospel story was. Of course you have to get vaccinated. All of human history existed without vaccination but of course now we found the magic bullet the elixir it was unquestioned by almost everybody i would come across no matter what other form of life they came from that and as we talk about on the show ultimately steve what do you said there's no good people right yeah, yeah. There's, and which means there's no strong people we're all weak well weak and we have been seduced by this thing this crime which i love that they're writing it from the and it's so perfect that we ended up having it wasn't by design this story and matt walsh on the same day because yeah. it's about narrative mm-hmm. and trickery and lies and that's what the devil likes and we have been manipulated to believe that we are not fearfully and wonderly made we're fallen and that is why we get sick and that's why we die 
but we are still created in the image of likeness of God. And from the beginning, we treat our children as if they are just a ticking time down about to die unless they jack them up with drug after drug after drug. We've been wrong about this as a first world nation for a very long time because we want to be comfortable. It's all the same thing. All the same thing. What did your heart do when arguably the most decorated cardiologist in American history comes on this show and drops the term, and I quote, vaccine syndicate? What, 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 what did your heart do when, when you heard Peter McCullough say that? And that meme with the little Did kid you shed did... a single tear? What Lord. was that? Mine kept, <laughs> mine kept beating because I haven't been you know, vaccinated. Oh, nice. It's nice. Well played. Pharmaceutical companies are a lot of different things. They're not medicine. Get that through your heads. They are not healthcare. It's black magic a lot of the time. All right, when we come back, fake news or not, another master plan from Sean Hackety, and we will discuss because I need this. So stay tuned. I want to share an email I received from Christopher and Stephanie Walsworth. I wanted to thank you guys for the Built Bar recommendation. My husband and I have a baby on the way. Congratulations. And I've been waking up in the middle of the night hungry, having wanted to try them for a while. My husband did not skip a beat and recommending that we got to buy these Built Bars. When the variety pack arrived, when it was delivered, my husband's eyes lit up like a kid on Ayid Mubarak. <laughs> Greatest thing. <laughs> I wanted to read it just actually for that line. <laughs> uh, he, ex- he excitedly inspected every flavor. Couldn't wait to try one. I was very impressed at the amount of protein in them. And my husband immediately agreed that they taste just like candy bars. He has been enthusiastically telling friends and has to be restrained from sharing them with others. Uh, thank you for the high protein, low sugar, low s- sodium snack. Again, that's from Christopher and Stephanie Walsworth. So thank you guys. And again, congrats on uh, the pending arrival. And if you would like a slightly less significant pending arrival uh, from Built Bar, uh, you can try it right now. Go to the website, B-U-I-L-T for the best, greatest protein bar of all time. They've got other products there too, new granola bars, the Built Bar Puffs, etc. Uh, when you go to Built.com and use the promo code DACE to get 15% off, 15% off when you get uh, you use, I should say, the promo code DACE, D-E-A-C-E, when you go to built.com for built bar, B U I L T built.com for built bar, promo code DACE. So let's get to fake news or not here to wrap it up here on a Tuesday, if you guys don't mind. And the minute I saw this story, I'm like, this has to be fake news or not. And I don't really have an angle per se, because I think the story in and of itself, it's, it's all self contained, it's its own. Angle, it's its own commentary, it's its own analysis. It it just, it does it all. Headline. Fox News host Sean Hackety pitched a last-minute pardon for Hunter Biden to Trump in an attempt to ease the fallout of the Capitol riot. This is from Business Insider uh, and the Daily Beast, too. We don't 
often cite as sources on this show. But since this is actually verified in text messages that Sean sent, we're going to go with it. All right. Fox News host Sean Hannity suggested that President Trump pardon Hunter Biden in a bid to, quote, smooth things over. Following the events of January 6th, the House Select Committee investigating the Capitol riot released text messages between Hannity Hackety and then Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany, in which the conservative new host, news host discussed the details of this conversation with Trump on January 7th, 2021. Hannity and Hackety, I'm sorry, and Trump were apparently discussing ways to address the potential fallout in the wake of hundreds of pro-Trump supporters uh, uh, breaching the Capitol, whatever, whatever that means, okay? According to one text message from Hackety, one pitch in particular seemed to pique the former president's interest, issuing a last-minute presidential pardon for Hunter Biden, the son of President-elect Joe Biden. He was intrigued by the pardon idea, double exclamation points. Hackety wrote in a text message to McEnany. Double exclamation points. Let's start there. Are unless the text is great game yesterday, son. Proud of that report card, daughter. That was hot not hot last night, honey. Unless the text message is something along those lines. Is a dude ever allowed to text double exclamation points? Is that a dude code violation? except for those few examples that I have just cited. You just, were they by themselves? Is that it? Or were they actually at the end of a sentence? No, they were just, they were by themselves. Just, yeah. No, no, it was at the end of the sentence, yeah. Yeah, at the end of the sentence was that Trump really liked the idea, double exclamation points. He was intrigued by the pardon idea, double exclamation points. Typically, I just chalk that up to fat thumbs accidentally tapping it twice. But since it's uh, Sean Hannity, it's a dude code violation. Everything he does is a dude code violation. Stipulated? So say we all. Yeah. Another person familiar with the conversation says that uh, Hackety proposed that the pardon uh, might help smooth things over, but the idea was immediately shut down. It died on the vine, this person said, and it was never seriously considered. Thoughts? I feel like I'm dying on the vine right now. (laughs) See, the the last part really brought it home for me. The amount of time that administration wasted talking about things that ultimately were learned later were never seriously considered. Trump tweets to whatever he tweeted about transgenderism in the military. Clearly not ever seriously considered. Mm -hmm. It it went absolutely nowhere. Here's Here's the real fake news of all of this. This, there was never anything just like... During this, you should have spent time right now. There was just a heartbreaking video on Twitter of the wife of somebody whose whose husband, uh, an ex marine, I believe, he's he's been in solitary for like sixteen months or something because of this thing, and Donald Trump 
doing nothing for him. Just like with the election, we went over that with uh, uh, the to, to what two thousand mules? Is that what three thousand mules? Two thousand mules. Two thousand yes. mules. Same thing. Like, uh, what were you spending your time doing? All these histrionics about Dominion and the Kraken and things like that, instead of like cutting to the chase. It, it, there's always so much smoke. And never any fire, because the simple fact of the matter, doing this was never going to smooth anything over. But doing this would have been an absolutely standalone, masterful troll. See, I was just going to say that. You should have done yes, that. We're yes. going to pardon your scumbag son. Yes. And you make them accept the premise. Yes, I completely agree. Not to agree. smooth it over, but to rub their damn nose in it. See, See this is, this, go ahead, it never Aaron. says. It never says. Uh, there's no quote from Hannity that I saw anyway. Maybe it does say, did. it is quoted to smooth things smooth over. Smooth things over. Yes. Well, then, in that Yeah, case, yeah. trust me, he doesn't, have, he doesn't have those sorts of yeah, instincts. Okay. This is this is classic, and I mean freaking classic. Conservative media, particularly A-list superstar handbook play. All right, accept the premise of the other side, and then try to negotiate down. It's the Family Research Council spending thirty years seeking religious exemptions for everything. As opposed to taking a, as opposed to taking a giant steel-toed boot and curb stomping it the minute it comes out of the bowels of hell, just stomp it right there. Just, just, just stop it. Stop it there. Stop it there. Don't let it gain momentum. Don't let it get downstream. Just stop it right there. I, <laughs> one of the great greatest portrayals of the conservative movement, particularly at its most elite levels, is, and you probably didn't expect you were going to hear this today when you tuned into Blaze TV. It's in the Austin Powers movies. (laughs) And it's when Dr. Evil's son, Scott, has the gun and and he tries handing it to his dad Shoot him. Just here. Shoot him. Just shoot him now. Just. We've got just sharks. Just shoot him. Just why don't we just end this? Boom. Just boom. And it's done. And just shoot him now. Why, why aren't we just shooting him now? That, folks is the vast majority of the people whose books we bought. And I say we because long before I came to work in this industry, long before I came to work here, I was a consumer. I mean, I was out on my mailroom route, listening to Rush every day. I was a consumer. Just like you guys. This is what I consumed. For information. And with the with very few exceptions at the elite level. Very few. This is what made Rush so beloved is in terms of going on offense with talking points. He essentially pioneered that. But the idea of going on offense with tactics is just sorely lacking. And has been all along. 
because you said exactly what I was going to say. Hell, we had an idea on the show that Trump, the first act he should have made as president was pardoning, pardoning Hillary for the emails, Benghazi. Remember we had those conversations five years ago? Dude, he should just turn around the day he takes the the White House, after he takes the oath of office and just pardon Hillary Clinton. The master stroke here, as you put it, would have been doing that like a week before the election. Like the day after the the story gets squashed, the New York York Post story gets squashed by Twitter and all the mainstream media, the day after Trump's like, no, 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 you don't get to shut the Overton window on, on our fingers. Sister Jean, you don't get to do that. You don't get to take your ruler and wrap our fingers like that. No, 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 no. I'm taking your ruler from you and I'm prying that Overton window open even a little further. I'm here to announce a pardon of Hunter Biden. This is very divisive content. The American people want the election to be about them, not about us. Let's face it. Chances are he won't need this anyway because the justice system doesn't ever do anything to people like the Bidens. But just in case, because the country needs to move on. From your crackhead son. Yes, from your crackhead son. We need to move on and get to the issues that really matter to people, not whose hair is he pulling while he's doing them dirty from behind in those photos. The stuff that people really care about, like why are you going to cancel the oil industry? Stuff like that. I will pardon him now so that once and for all, the country can be rid of your son. You know, something along those lines. And we would have been like, we are not worthy. Another Michael Myers reference. We are not worthy. Okay. But no, no, let's do it in the context of begging our enemies for forgiveness. Guys, I, if there is any story, at this point, I feel like we can almost retire this segment permanently. Except, unfortunately, this industry will continue to create many more teachable moments like this that we simply just cannot ignore. But if there was ever a moment where we could just say, our work here is done. This story is it. An absolutely talentless mega superstar given access for reasons only a law knows to by far our biggest platform on our side begging the president to grovel to his enemies on the way out the door. I I just, this is pretty much everything. This is the false flag controlled opposition Washington general conservative movement that too many of us have made mind-numbingly rich. Mind-numbingly rich. To come up with advice like that and mean it with double exclamation points. Before we close this out, a reminder during these unprecedented times, Bing. make sure you go into the real estate market with a real estate agent you can trust. Where would you find such a person? We made the name as simple for you as possible. Go to the website, realestateagentsitrust.com. Again, that's realestateagentsitrust.com. Just about anywhere you want to move move to or get away from, we can find you an agent with a fully vetted track record of support who will come in, take charge of your situation while remembering that ultimately you are the one, though, that is in charge. And they will see you through to the end 
and it won't be bitter if you go to the website, realestateagentsitrust.com. Once again, that's realestateagentsitrust.com. You know, today's this, this story that we're talking about here, I don't know if you intended it this way, Steve. It's really the perfect cap to today's jam-packed show. It really is. The first segment we talked about that Axios poll and really what that story is about. Who do we think our enemy actually is? What is the nature of our enemy? Should we marry our enemy? Should we marry our enemy? <laughs> yeah. The next two segments, we learned who our enemy actually is, and we learned that they are on the march. We also learned that they're paper tigers. And in this segment, we're, we're reminded again of who we have entrusted to protect our interests, our liberties, our Overton window, what have you, from our enemies. It's really the perfect cap to this show. Our enemies are on the march. They're also paper tigers. The people who represent us are flaccid. We must confront more. That's basically today's show. Hackity hack. Don't come back. Right? I mean, it, 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 it's like they're the French Foreign Legion. What's the classic joke about the French Foreign Legion rifle um, listing on eBay? Um, always loaded, seldom used, or yep. something yep. like along those lines. Todd, you have any final thoughts? If you want to know the GOP... Or big pharma. I think you should. You, you need to watch Breaking Bad or The Wire. You need to learn how drug syndicates work, because the GOP treats you like crack addicts, because you are, and big pharma treats you like crack addicts, because you are. And I just am more confirmed in that every single day. You simply take. What is given to you and you come racing back for more, even though the delivery and what you claim to believe in never comes through. That's what crackheads do. It's a unique sales pitch. And I'll allow it. I wish uh, I was wrong. It's a unique sales pitch. I wish I was wrong. What's what's a better marketing strategy, that or Postmates yesterday? Oh my gosh. I like Todd's better, actually. <laughs> I'm not going to even say what I was thinking. I'm not. You deserve better, so I won't. I won't say what I was thinking. I'll no, just. You don't deserve better. <laughs> you, that's my point. You don't. All right. Well, we're going to stick around. Hopefully, after that pitch, you are just subscribing in droves because we're going to produce unique content for our subscribers here in a moment after we're done here for the rest of you we will see you tomorrow noon to 2 eastern right after hall of famer glenn beck here on blaze tv until then john 317 this is steve dace on the blaze radio network